0: So it's on the uh, PowerPoint, um, and so if you could read in the all, and uh, I will read the others. All right? The word of the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul. Do not put your trust in princes and human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord indeed. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So, so that's Psalm 146. Fantastic psalm and a fitting psalm as we come to the conclusion of our little worship series. And so what have we learned these past six weeks have we we talked about what worship is? Well, I thought I'd begin today with just a quick little review. The word worship itself comes from a combination of two words from the Old English, weorth, where we get the words worth and worthy, and sip, where we get the word to ascribe. And so to worship literally means to ascribe or to assign worth to someone or something. Interestingly, in the Hebrew, the word translated as worship is the word shakah. Here it is. And it literally means, next slide, and it literally means as a defining definition to bow down. And that's what I love about the Hebrew language, that often the language or the words in Hebrew carries with them a picture, like a mental, physical picture. And in this case, it's the picture of actually bowing down. Worship for the Israelites then is less about singing than it is about posture. That worship is a posture of the heart. That even if you're standing and you're singing or you're doing something, it's what is in our heart. It's whether we have that a posture to bend down, lower our heads, and to worship God. So who and what do you worship? Psalm 146, which we just read, begins with the word praise the Lord. And in Hebrew, the word is hallelujah that's what hallelujah means. So next time you sing it, you know what it means. Hallel, which means praise, and Yah, which is short for Yahweh. So when we say praise the Lord or hallelujah, it literally means praise Yahweh. And that's how the psalm begins. Praise Yahweh. But have you noticed how the psalm ends? Exactly the same way, praise Yahweh. And so the psalmist is trying to teach us that our worship must always begin with God, and that our worship always has to end with God. That we are to bend our knee and worship the one and true God, that our worship must always begin and end with God, and He is the only person worthy of our ultimate worship. And we are to worship God all our lives. In verse 2 of the psalm, it says, I will praise the Lord all my life, and I will sing praise to my God as long as I shall live. And Christians for the past 2,000 years have gathered together, much like us today, to do just that, to worship God. And yes, of course, individual worship is important, right? Worshiping at home, worshiping, listening to music, reading the scripture, that's so crucial. But we would all agree that there's something beautiful, something special, something poignant about gathering together and worshiping together as community and as family. And it all started at Pentecost. The very first recorded worship event of the church was a corporate encounter that thousands took part of together. And it was after that Pentecostal moment when disciples and early beginners began to meet together, began to read Scripture, began to pray, and they began to break bread. And over time then, there have been these consistent actions or behaviors that the church has done together in worship, actions that have developed historically for the past 2,000 years. The Christian church has, and different churches do different things, yes, but more or less for the last 2,000 years, churches follow these four movements. And they are, Next slide. They are to gather, which we do, gathering together in community. It is word, which is reading scripture and the sermon. Song, which we just did. Table, which is of communion. And of course, at the very end, the sending. And that's what we're going to talk about today, just the send part. Now, the sending takes place at the very end of the service. Sometimes it's accompanied by with a song of sending or a closing song. But most definitely, it always ends with something called the benediction. Now, please note, although the sending is not as long as the other parts, it's the shortest part of the service. Do not make the mistake of equating brevity with lack of importance. I love how Constant Cherry puts it all together when she writes this. When we have guests in our homes, the goodbyes do not take many minutes, but they are significant. For departing is still about being in relationship while we are apart. When family members or good friends separate after spending time together, they exchange such sentiments as, take care, have a good day, I hope things go well for you, I'll be praying for you, come back soon, stay out of trouble, or I love you. The way in which we part answers the questions of how we will be in relationship while apart and what we will do until we meet again. So isn't that good? So how we end this service is actually uber important. It answers the question of what kind of relationship are we going to be in while not together, and what will we do until we meet again? Thus, the benediction is short, yeah, like 20 seconds sometimes, but crucial, crucial element of worship. And as you know, uh, we just talked about it with a kid's sermon, Uh, the goodbye uh, literally, right, means God be with you. And I always love that because, you know, we don't realize that. We say goodbye all the time, but we're actually saying to people, God be with you. And it is the benediction or the goodbye that has always historically for the Israelites been one of their high points of worship. That at the temple, for like years, after the um, sacrifices have all been burnt, the high priest would stand and offer a benediction for the entire nation. And the words to be used are known as the Aaronic benediction that that God gave Moses to give to Aaron as being the first priest of Israel. And listen to these words. It's very familiar to you. Numbers chapter 6, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. And say to them, and they have been said for the last 4,000 years, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you, and the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And Jesus continues this tradition. He makes a number of closing benedictions after most of his messages. And perhaps his most famous one is the benediction or the goodbye that he says right before he ascends to heaven. And this one is even more familiar to you. It's in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus says this in his great goodbye. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, note there are two components to Jesus' words. The first component is the blessing. In fact, in the English, Um, benediction comes from two Latin words, bene, which means good, and diction, which means uh, word. And so to speak a benediction is literally to speak a good word. And here, Jesus offers a great word. Jesus says, surely I am with you always to the end of the age. That is a good word indeed. But the second component is something called the charge or the commission or the challenge. That having been blessed, we are to be a blessing. That we are now called into action. And Jesus gives us the charge to go and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all the commands I have given you. So there are two commandments to every benediction. The first is the blessing and the second is the charge. Right, and we need both of them in every benediction. They're both equally important that a blessing without a charge then uh, lacks the impetus for mission and for action. And a charge without a blessing lacks the sense of the power, the, the, that the spirit that's needed for the mission. And so you can see that blessing and charge are necessary. And in our psalm this morning that we looked at, both of these components, blessing and charge, are found first in the blessing. And the blessing can be found starting in verse 5 on the left. When the psalmist writes, blessed are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. And what a great blessing, right? That's a pretty good blessing, that our hope and our help is in the Lord. And in this case, Lord is the name, it's capitalized, again, the divine name of God, Yahweh. And this name, Lord Yahweh, shows up a whopping 11 times in this psalm. And, I mean, that's enough reason to worship. Because the psalmist wants to make it clear to us that Yahweh is consistent. He's always present. He's always there. He's in every line of the psalm and forever faithful. That's why we worship God. That's the blessing part of the psalm. But what of interest here is the charge or the challenge that comes right after. So starting in verse 7, which is on the right, the psalmist continues. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The God, the Creator, blesses us, and thank goodness He does. We are all blessed. But he also blesses and takes special care of those who need him most. And in particular, as outlined in the psalm, he defends those who cannot defend themselves. And he lists them, the oppressed, the hungry, the prisoner, the blind, the foreigner, the orphan, and the widow. Uh, Theologian Nicholas Wolterstorff, uh, when looking through the Old Testament, decided to look for all the times that the word justice showed up. And when he noted that every single time the word justice showed up, there were four groups of people that always accompanied the word. And the four groups of people were the widow, the orphan, the foreigner or the immigrant, and the poor. And Walter Storff calls them the quartet of the vulnerable, that these are the people that are most vulnerable, most oppressed, and who more than anything need justice. And so there's a lesson here. That sometimes we mistake and think that justice is only about retribution. That justice is about punishment for the things that someone does wrong. But justice is more than that. Justice is about fairness and charity and equality for what people deserve. That if everyone is made in the image of God, then shouldn't we all be considered equals and deserving of the same? God is a God of justice. He defends the wrong. He feeds the hungry, protects the widow, he looks after the refugee, and we see this vividly in the life of Jesus, that during his ministry on earth, Jesus revealed God's love by helping people that were hungry, sick, crippled, and blind. In fact, as we read verse 7 in Psalm 146, don't those words sound vaguely familiar? They should. They appear again in the Bible in some really important spots. The first is in Isaiah 61. When the prophet Isaiah prophesied about a servant king or a Messiah that would come and inaugurate a time of jubilee, when the poor would be delivered and oppression would cease. And these same words again are found again spoken by the lips of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. That in Luke chapter 4, as Jesus begins his ministry, Luke records Jesus' very first sermon. Now, I remember my very first sermons here at the TAP 14 years ago when we started because they were, like, redundant after a while, because what I really wanted to do was to tell people what this church was about. So I explained why we named the church the tapestry. I showed the logo and showed what it all meant, and I used every tap lingo I could think of. Get tapped in. Don't go. Oh, no, stay. Don't tap out. What's on tap? Or we're a community woven in faith, or just so on and so on and so on, like I used everything I possibly could. Why? Because I wanted people to get the point. This is what this church was going to be about. And that's the same thing that's happening here. That this is Jesus's very first sermon. This was going to set the agenda for what he was going to be about. This was what his ministry and mission was going to be. What? Luke chapter 4. This is what goes on. Jesus went to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it. He found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. To proclaim good news to the poor, he has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So it's very clear in this text, right? Right? that Jesus deliberately chose this particular passage in Isaiah to read. That in Jesus' very first sermon, it becomes very clear what his mission and what his ministry was going to be about, that his message was going to preach good news. And the good news of the gospel is not only about spiritually saved, which is awesome in itself, for sure, but it's also about being saved in every which possible way that one person can be saved. That is, the good news is not only about deliverance from sin, but it's also about deliverance from poverty, oppression, and slavery. Yes, Jesus said that he came to preach good news, specifically good news to who? The poor. And the poor are to be understood as not only those who are poor in spirit and humble before God, but also those that are economically poor as well. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners is not only about freedom and forgiveness that we can from the bondage of sin, but also those who are falsely imprisoned and in debt. Recovery of sight for the blind is not only about those who are spiritually blind, but also those who are physically blind, lame, and deaf. And to release the oppressed is not only about those who are oppressed by guilt and shame, but those who are socially oppressed. And so are you beginning to know, get to get what all of this means? Jesus is saying, The kingdom of God has arrived. Today, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing. And Jesus proved it by enabling the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the imprisoned to be free, that Jesus began the kingdom, and now we are to live into the kingdom. Even more so, that as Christians, we know that God loves the helpless, the grief-stricken, the oppressed so much that he literally becomes one of them on the cross, taking on all the grief, all the sin, and all the poverty of the world in order to give us life. And if you think about it, we are just as blind, we are just as broken, we are just as needy, we are just as oppressed, we are just as poor in spirit. Thank goodness he doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. Thank goodness He comes down, becomes one of us, dies on the cross, takes all of it on the cross, and dies for us, and in that gives us life abundant on earth and life eternal in heaven, that we are blessed because of that. And then the turn, because now having been blessed, now as His disciples, we are to follow Jesus. We are now to be His hands and feet. We are now to be called a blessing to the world. So how do we do it? How do we truly usher in the kingdom of God? How do we truly live out the year or the time of the Lord's favor? Like, what would it truly mean to proclaim good news to the poor? Like, what would it really mean to proclaim freedom for prisoners? What would it really mean to help recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free? And that could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It could mean to sponsor a child. It could mean to continue giving to great organizations like Ratnak, UGM, ICC, and so forth. It could mean to volunteer your time working with refugees or, as we talked about earlier, to serve in all the many ministries of the church. What would it really mean to help someone out? What would it really mean to surrender what we have in order to help others? What would it really mean to go on a hospital visit? What would it really mean to be part of a missions team? And what is God calling you right now to do? One of the exciting new things that sort of just landed on our lap here at the TAP is how we are now involved with homelessness and the homeless population through our work with the residents of the temporary modular housing uh, that's been built throughout the city. At our sister church, TAP Marpole, for instance, we've been able to help out at the Reederman modular housing that's just north of the church in Marpole. That once every two weeks, members of Tat Marple go and share a meal with some of the 74 residents at Riederman, many who have previously lived on the streets for a long, long time. Another group of volunteers drive residents to the grocery store, to Safeway, for example, and to help them shop for groceries. And just a few weeks ago, we hosted a block party for the residents, and here are some pictures of that. That on the right-hand side, or the left-hand side, here we are throwing a block party in the right-hand side, Pastor Jesse is flipping some burgers. Relationships are being built. Things are happening, which is just awesome. But here in Richmond, Tap Richmond and Knights are getting involved with this 40-unit modular housing complex that was just built on Alderbridge. And the manager and two other staff were just here uh, just last week uh, at Tap Nights. They're on the left sharing their story. And you should hear the story of this woman who was homeless and got her help and then got her PhD, is now running this. I mean, it's just fantastic, this story. And the unit is on the right. But we're already starting to do some things that we're already trying to help out with the community. And here are some of the things that we're getting involved. Next slide that we're in charge of their community garden all of a sudden. And so on the left, we're planting seeds and planting produce. And on the right, of course, Gerben is hard at work, as always, uh, doing some landscaping. Our hope is to grow fresh produce and right, with them and for them. Our hope is that we would continue to look after the garden. I mean, they've never planted anything before in their life. And now they can go down and get something good and nutritious to eat. We're also hoping to have help come in and uh, every week drive to some of the local bakeries and pick up bagels and and bread and drop them off at the residence. And today we're launching a brand new monster donation drive. So if you have your bulletin, how many of you are a bulletin? You can hold up your bulletin. If you don't have one, I'll tell you what to do. But on your bulletin, you have a sticker. You see that? So your sticker might say, $5 for milk, or it might say an art supply. My sticker says a can of soup, all right? So what this means is, you take this home, if you need a reminder, and then guess what you do next week? You bring, for me, a can of soup. Whoa. Pretty simple, hey? If you do not have a bulletin, you can pick up some stickers in the serve table Or if you like to collect stickers, you can collect all of them (laughs) at the table and bring them back. And our hope is that we're going to start collecting these things and we're going to go and drop them off and deliver them, all right? If you have any questions about how to get involved, you want to be more involved, you can talk to me or you can talk to Pastor Karen. So anyways, it's this process of building relationships with residents of the homeless that we have begun to realize that the greatest need for residents in these modular housing facilities that we're working with is not about food. It's not about gardening. It's not about even art supplies. It's about kindness. It's about friendship. It's about connection. Last week, a resident of modular housing came, sat with us, worshipped, and even put a little bit of money and offered it into the, our offering box. I mean, how beautiful is that? I mean, we want relationship. And it's not about housing. It's about a home. It's about friendship. It's about justice. It's about being good neighbors. And that our desire is not to have, like, this short-term relationship where just peter out and we just forget about it, but we want a long-term relationship. And so we've actually decided to name this initiative everything that we do with Modular Housing Flourish. Next slide. Because that's our hope. That we want this relationship to flourish. We want this uh, residence to flourish. We want the city to flourish. And more than anything, we want the name of Jesus to flourish. All right, let me put all of this together. You remember about a year ago, there was a lot of controversy about the building of this temporary modular housing, right? right? There were pickets. There were this and that. There was that infamous Bruce Lee kick, if you remember, at the Richmond Public Library where this guy went viral, dropped kick the librarian. Uh, I was there that uh, day. It wasn't me. I was there, though. Um, but there's lots of controversy, and people in this community spoke up. I mean, someone here launched a, a huge online campaign, which was awesome. But a friend of mine um, wrote a, an article, and it's poignant, and I want to read it today. Because especially when we think about what it means to be sent, and what it means to worship God through mission, compassion, and service... Because let's be honest, when it comes to the benediction, those two parts, we love the blessing part. Oh, God, bless me. Let your face shine upon me. Oh, yeah, hold me in the hollow of your hand. Oh, yeah, we take all that. It's the commission part we have a problem with. It's the charge that we have an issue with. And whether it's fear or apathy or concern or whatever it is, um, yeah. We need to learn what it means to be like Christ. So, Victor writes this. It's a bit long, but it's poignant, and I love it. He writes this I'm not sure that hate is the opposite of love. I think that for most of us, it's not hate, but fear that keeps us from loving as we might, as God imagines we can. We fear that in order for others to win, we have to lose, so we better win instead. We fear that there isn't enough, so we better get what we can while we can. We fear scarcity when the truth is that God is about abundance. All you have to do is to listen to Jesus as he speaks about the kingdom of God. It's about feeding thousands from a boy's lunch and having baskets of leftovers. It's like a king forgiving his servants billions of dollars in debt. It's like a sower scattering seed everywhere, liberally, generously. It's like a vineyard owner paying, overpaying people. It's like a father who welcomes home his wayward son and throws him a party. It's like gallons of water turned into the finest wine. Next slide. God isn't about just enough. God is about abundance. In God, trusting in God, there's more than enough for everyone. Life isn't some zero-sum game when there are winners and losers. The life God has given, the life that Christ has redeemed, has room for all. The life God intended has room, has housing, makes room for those who are most at risk, most disadvantaged, most in need, those who are hungry, thirsty, naked, sick, oppressed, marginalized, shut out, stigmatized, voiceless, powerless. We cannot let our fear shout out our willingness to be vulnerable and to love. Friends, we have to. We have to. We cannot let our fear or our apathy shut out our ability to love and be obedient to God. And you know, this is something I've struggled with not only this week, but pretty much my entire adult life. And I'm sure some of you feel the same way with these huge issues of poverty, hunger, and justice. You don't even know where to start. It's so huge. And I don't definitely have all the answers, and I feel overwhelmed sometimes even by the weight of it. What, is, what do I do as a person, but how do, how do we as a church respond? But I'm hoping and praying that in the leading of the Spirit, that I pray that we will do what we can right now. Yes, maybe they're big systemic changes, but maybe they're even small things like a can of soup. But where does it begin? It's Canada Today weekend, and yeah, I'm a Canadian citizen, but more than that, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, and either you belong to this kingdom or you don't belong to this kingdom, but citizens of the kingdom of God are about the business of Jesus, and so I pray that we be about the business, the work, and herald and represent what this kingdom is all about. Amen? I'd like to end this morning with you guys are in for a treat. You get two benedictions this day. Would you please stand and receive this as your benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So that we may go to make disciples of the nations, to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them the commandments that your Son Christ has taught us, that we could truly proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to set the oppressed free. In Christ's name, amen.